Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author and Property Investor. And this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And in this episode, I'm still ploughing through questions which you sent in, which I've been collecting over the months. And I've got some really fantastic questions, which I'm going to answer in this episode. And one of the things which really interests me is that at first sight, you can look at a question and think, I don't even know why somebody's asking that. Or you can think something like, well, I would have thought the answer to that is fairly straightforward. Or you might even think, why is that question even relevant? But the reality is that when you start digging in deeper, it's a bit like peeling the layers off an onion and you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. And as you begin to answer the question, it takes you deeper and deeper and it takes you into areas which you may not have thought of when you first heard the question, if you just took it at face value. And so I've actually found this a really exciting process to go through your questions. So thank you ever so much for everybody who's been sending questions in and communicating with me via the Facebook group and everything. It's been fantastic. And now I'm going to answer them. So without further ado, let's crack on and do it. The first question today is, is there such a thing as a typical day for a property investor? If so, what does it look like? Interesting question. Well, I could start by saying how your day looks will depend on your strategy. And that's absolutely true. And we'll come back to that. But leaving aside the specifics of what a day per strategy may look like, there's going to be some commonality between strategies. Just think about this. I don't care which strategy you're actually following in property. There are two things which I think are probably the most important things that you should be doing as an investor. And they are these. Number one, you should be out finding finance. And number two, you should be out finding deals. Now, a question which I'm often asked, and I know that other trainers at Progressive are asked this as well when we're doing the trainings, is which of those should you do first? Should you go out and find the deals first or should you go out and find the finance first? And... Do you know, we could go around in circles on this, but let's just think about this logically. Now, there has to be some sense in finding the money first so that when you've got the money, you know how much you can spend and you can go shopping for property with confidence and certainty. But if you happen to find a deal first before you find the finance, then that could be a great thing as well. Maybe finding the deal, even if you haven't got the money, might incentivize you, hopefully, to go and find the money. It might make you do the things that you haven't previously done. It might make you make those phone calls to potential JV investors, which you otherwise wouldn't have made. It'll get you over the problem, which is often voiced, that if you find a deal, but you don't have the money, you might lose the deal, obviously, and you might break rapport with the agent or the vendor, which you've been carefully trying to nurture. So the answer probably is, Go out and do both first at the same time. But if you had to choose one over the other, then I'd probably suggest that you go out and find the finance first. So in my opinion, a typical day for a property investor should include finding deals and finding finance. Now, Rob Moore, co-founder of Progressive Properties, says that we should be spending at least half our time networking so that we can find JV funds. 
And the more people you talk to and the more people you go out and tell that you're a property investor and the more people you tell what you're doing to, the more finance and the more deals you're going to find. See it all the time. People come on Masterclass and they look at me with disbelief when I say this. But usually by the end of Masterclass, just by putting a little post up on Facebook, on their usually on their profile or their timeline or whatever you call it, people will start finding that people who they didn't even know had money start coming out of the woodwork saying, I've got money, will you help me invest it? It's a great thing. So you just need to be telling people. So a typical day for a property investor should include plenty of time networking. According to Rob Moore, about half of your working time should be spent networking. But when you start in property, unless your business model is to outsource everything, which would be smart, by the way, And assuming that you start on something like buy-to-lets, which would be a good place for most of us to start, by the way, you'll need to do things like researching, probably on Rightmove and Zoopla and the other amazing websites which are out there. You'll need to be making appointments with estate agents. You'll need to be visiting estate agents. By the way, never, never just rely upon going onto the internet and using Rightmove and Zoopla and all those amazing websites and not actually meeting people. It's when you sit down, you talk to the agent, and you begin to ask questions about the position of the vendor and whether they've got flexibility and whether they've got any empty properties and all this kind of stuff that you're going to find your deals. But that would be a good day for any property investor doing that kind of thing. And obviously, hopefully, that's going to end up with a day if there is a typical day. And there probably isn't so much of a typical day. But one of the days when you start as a property investor is going to be doing your viewings. And maybe you'll be doing, I don't know, 10 viewings on a Saturday And that would be a great day for a property investor as well. Now, if you're going to start in property part time, your day is going to look a little bit different again, because you might still have to do the day job. And so you might have to do your networking uh, in the evenings or at lunchtime and at weekends. And you might have to do your research and ringing agents at lunchtime and in the evening. And you might have to do all of your viewings at the weekend or after work. And by the way, if you are starting part-time, I'd say that that's smart as well, because we wouldn't recommend at Progressive that you sack your boss just yet until you're in a position to sack your boss. So start part-time and then go full-time. In fact, only go full-time when you're ready, when you can transition across. When you do go full-time and when you start to outsource all the stuff which you should be outsourcing, you'll find that even spending most of your working time networking You'll still have loads of free time should you wish to have it, which is one of the great things about property and why many of you are attracted to property. One of my highest values is freedom, if that's even a value. And one of the great things that I find in my life because of property is that I have the ability to pick and choose when I'm going to work and how much work I'm going to do. So every day is going to be different. So I would say there isn't a typical day, but if you have to plan anything into your day, You need to be planning in raising finance, that's got to be a priority, and finding the deals. Now, one thing which I think many new investors don't fully appreciate is that in property, particularly when you're up and running, particularly when you have the systems and the processes in place that you need to have in place, then actually there is actually a lot of downtime in property. One of the things which I often think when I'm doing a deal, for example, is that you can go out and you can find a deal and you can put it into solicitor's hands. And apart from perhaps talking to your mortgage broker and maybe sending over copies of your bank statements or your pay slips or whatever, which isn't going to take very long, 
but there's a lot of downtime while you're waiting for that deal to go through. Even a relatively quick deal can take weeks to do. And typically buying a property like a little buy to let, for example, no matter how quickly you try and do it, it's probably going to take six to eight weeks. And I don't really care even if you try and do it as a cash purchase. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you try and do it as a cash, cash purchase without searches and you take out some kind of indemnity policy so that you don't have to have searches. I've tried it always and it just happens at the speed the solicitor wants to do it at. If you've listened to my previous podcasts, you'll know I've had a bit of a rant about that. So whichever way you look at it is probably going to take six to eight weeks to go through. So what are you going to do during those six to eight weeks? Well, you're waiting for the deal to come in. Hopefully you'll be doing exactly what I've just said. You'll be going out and raising finance and you'll still be looking for the next deal. But it's not like it is in a full time job where there's just stuff coming at you relentlessly, which is, again, as I say, one of the great benefits of property. So a typical day for a property investor. Actually, it probably doesn't exist. And that makes it even more fun for me. If you like to know exactly what you're going to be doing from day to day, that might freak you out a little bit. But you can plan, you can structure your day in a way which works for you. I actually like the variety and the flexibility. So there we are. Great question. Thank you for that. Next question. Do property investors need offices or a place of work? Interesting question. Let's have a think about this. I remember Rob Moore, co-founder of Progressive, saying that he thought that he was living a mobile lifestyle, a lifestyle which allowed him to be able to work wherever he wanted to work, overseas, on the beach, in Costa. Actually, Costa Coffee is one of Rob's favourite places to be, I understand. And he thought he was being very mobile and living the mobile lifestyle until he was asked by one of his mentor clients and JV partners, Rob, if you're so mobile, why do you have an office? And it was true, Rob still had a physical office in the progressive offices in Peterborough. So Rob took the challenge and he took the walls of his office down. He gave the space over to his managing director so they could put more staff in. And he became totally mobile without an office of his own. So I suppose in that sense, the answer to the question, do property investors need offices or a place of work, is not necessarily. Certainly Rob Moore's living the mobile lifestyle and he doesn't. But whether you need an office or not will depend on your business model and your strategy. If you're going to start your own letting agency, for example, and offer management, and you might do that if you're going to build a portfolio of buy-to-lets and you're going to get up to 50 or 60 buy-to-lets, you may well start your own letting agency, in which case you're going to need physical premises, I assume, so that obviously you're not going to be the person running the letting agency or at least not doing the day-to-day work. You will be running it in the sense that you'll own it and you'll manage it from a distance, but you'll have staff who will need to be located somewhere, particularly if you've got clients coming in. So a lot of this, again, and this is one of the main answers we're always going to have in property, is it's going to be strategy dependent. But for a lot of strategies, particularly if you outsource most of the activity and if you want to be passive, you could easily have an officeless existence. In fact, nowadays, there's so many apps and websites and different softwares which we can buy, which allow us not to be restricted to a physical office. I often joke when I'm training at Masterclass, for example, that all I want to do is to lie on the beach and check my banking app. And I realise if you don't know me, that probably sounds very arrogant. And if you do know me, hopefully you know that I'm not arrogant. And hopefully I try and keep myself quite well grounded. And I don't really mean it like that. That's not really who I am. But what I'm really saying is 
that one of the joys of being in property, as I said in the last answer, is that it allows us flexibility and freedom of time. And all of these apps allow us to do that. Now, Rob Moore will always say that everything has an upside and a downside. And downside of having an office, and I'll be honest, I still have a physical office at home. In fact, I'm speaking from my physical office now. I'm recording this at home in my physical office. And so I know this personally has been a major downside, is that there's always temptation to keep stuff that you don't need. And I've planned in a week, in a week or two, where I'm going to have a massive clear out. And I'm just going to get rid of about 20 years of stuff. I've had this office now for getting on for 20 years, and it's just full of stuff which I've collected over the years, which I've thought, well, that's going to be important one day. One day I might want to refer back to that. That's going to be useful. And, you know, I've never used it. I've never looked at it. There's books and files and bits of paper I've never read, and they've just got to go. Because one of the things about having an office, particularly a cluttered office, is a cluttered environment can actually be a big distraction and can reduce your efficiency. All sorts of psychological reasons for that. Now, if you're going to go down the Rob Moore route of being office-less and not having an office, you're going to need to give some thought as to how you put in place the right processes and systems to help you to be able to work efficiently, even if you haven't got somewhere where you always go to. And as part of my de-junking plan, I'm going to, this is the theory anyway, challenge me at some point if we ever bump into each other at Progressive HQ, ask me. But part of my plan is to scan files and files of papers and keep them in some kind of cloud-based file storage system. So I can just become like a paperless office, which I think would be amazing. Of course, if I become a paperless office, then I'm not going to be rooted to a physical location. And I want to put all of my bookkeeping online and I'm looking at programs like Zero. Uh, just so I can dump all the paperwork and make bookkeeping much more efficient and so I don't have boxes of receipts and stuff hanging around. If you do have an office, like a home office, you can actually pay yourself a deductible tax allowance from your business. So that's something we need to think about as well. So before you throw the baby out with the bathwater, though, just think about what it is you're trying to achieve. Now, I'm not an accountant, but as I understand it, there's a standard amount My accountant allows myself and my wife, who's a director of my limited company in which I hold my properties, an amount, I think it's only a nominal amount, it's like £17.33 a month each, which we can take out of the business, which covers the costs and the overheads of running our business from home. It's not going to make us rich, but you know, it's a tax-free amount, it all helps. So there we go. So if you have got a home office, then before you completely close it down, maybe you want to think about the tax breaks. One thing you can do as an alternative to that, as I understand it, is you can work out how much space pro rata in your house you're using for business. Then you can add up all of the costs of running your house, like the utilities and the council tax and everything. And then you can claim a pro rata amount back from your business. The danger of that, though, in theory, and I'm only saying this is a theory because I've never experienced it myself, but I know that some people have, is that if you do that, and if you get too formal about it, then there's a danger that you may end up being uh, rated for business rates. That little part of your house which you're using for business might become rated for business rates. You probably don't want that, so you need to think about this. But going back to the answer to the question, do investors need uh, office space or premises to work from? 
reality is probably in this day and age with a mobile phone and a tablet, you can probably pretty much work anywhere, can't you? And that's probably the ideal that you want to be trying to achieve, but you'll need to put in place the right systems and processes. By the way, a shout out for my friend Catherine Turner. She does an excellent podcast, which is all about setting up the right systems and processes. So you might want to check that out as well. So next question, how many hours a week should I be looking to work as a fledgling investor? I love that term, fledgling investor. Well, I imagine that many of us listening to this are probably still going to be in full-time jobs. So we're going to have to juggle time between the day job and family and leisure and our new property business. So if you're in a day job, there's only limited hours that you can actually put into your new property business anyway. And you might have to cut out and cut back on some stuff like, I don't know, binging on Netflix. An hour or so per evening is going to help you. You can use that maybe for research, researching on right move, looking for your gold mine area, going onto Zoopla. And perhaps you may have to juggle your time and perhaps ring for appointments to view properties, maybe at lunchtime while you're at work. There's things that you can do. So it's probably time which you're going to have spend somewhere doing something anyway. How much time do you need? Well, I would imagine probably when you're starting out, you probably need to be freeing up maybe an average of an hour a day. I don't know. Again, though, with a lot of these questions, the answer is going to come down to, well, what's your strategy? Because your strategy is going to determine some of this as well. But from a basic point of view, perhaps vanilla buy to let's, you'd probably get away with just an hour or so a day on average. So you could easily start on just seven or eight hours a week, I would have thought. But who knows? Now, if you set up the systems and processes that you need, and if you outsource as much as you can, as early as you can in your property journey, perhaps you won't even need all of that time. But of course, one of the things you need to do before you start outsourcing and trying to free up your time is that you need to make sure that you understand the processes so that when you outsource to somebody, you've got a very good idea that you that you can see that they're doing the job properly. Otherwise, obviously, of course, there's no point in outsourcing at all. It's rather than helping your business, it could completely ruin your business. But going back to that earlier answer, even if you don't need seven or eight hours, perhaps you should be using what time you do have for networking. So if you don't need seven or eight hours, you might still do seven or eight hours a week anyway, because you're going to stick in the networking time. It may be you only need four hours because you've got your systems and processes. You've got your PA and your VA and you've got all the help you need. Well, if that's the case, then maybe use the other four hours, go networking and make sure that you're using that time to raise the finance. Because honestly, the value in your business is going to be in the amount of money you raise at the end of the day. So the more time you put into that, the more successful you're going to be. So basically, there's no right or wrong or fixed answer for this. You just need to spend as much time as you need to spend to make your property strategy work. And we know because so many people are doing it, that you can start most or all of the strategies in property part time, especially if you outsource. So get your VA, for example, to do your research on Rightmove. That could save you a lot of time. Uh, Your VA or PA could even make appointments for you. So you don't even need to ring the agents. So you don't even need to be thinking about ringing the agents at lunchtime. You can get all that done for you once you've trained your VA or your PA to know what to look for and what types of properties to look for. There's going to be a power team that you're going to put together. Now, you've obviously got to put the power team together, 
But once you have the power team, and by the way, in a question which is coming up in a moment, we'll think more about this. But for example, you won't be, when you're out there sort of raising conventional bank finance, it's not you who's dealing with the bank, it's your mortgage broker. So they'll take all that off your shoulders. So there's ways of actually sort of streamlining everything so you don't have to put that much time into it. You just need to do enough. You need to work out what that enough is. So let's think about our team. And here's the question specifically. The question is, what services and specialists will a good property investor have on speed dial? That's an interesting point. What services and specialists will a good property investor have on speed dial? Well, again, I keep saying this, I sound like a broken record, but it's true, isn't it? A lot of this will depend on your strategy. What strategy are you actually trying to undertake in property? If you're doing commercial conversions, you might have an architect. You might have a town planner. You might have a structural engineer on speed dial, amongst others. And of course, your main contractor. So your strategy is going to determine your team, what we could call your power team. That's what we call them at Progressive. And... I assume that the question really is asking who's in your team and who is the most important member in your team. Well, there's going to be a different makeup of team for each different strategy. But having said that, there's also going to be some commonality across the different strategies. So regardless of which strategy you're undertaking, probably one of the most important, if not the most important person in your team is going to be a good mortgage broker. Now, be aware Not all mortgage brokers are the same. Some are great and some are not so great. And again, depending upon what your strategy is, you want to have a mortgage broker who's a specialist in your area, in your particular strategy. So for example, if I'm doing buy-to-lets, I want a mortgage broker who's going to be a specialist at buy-to-lets. If I'm doing HMOs, I want a mortgage broker who's a specialist at raising finance on HMOs. If I'm doing commercial conversions, I want a broker who is a specialist at raising development finance or commercial finance. Don't go to your buy-to-let broker and expect them to be an expert at raising development finance. Some of them try and be sort of jack-of-all-trades and some of them manage it. Some of them try and be jack-of-all-trades and they don't manage it. So a lot of this you're going to find by trial and error, but I would specifically be asking the question when appointing a mortgage broker, what is your area of expertise? And then I just stick to that. Another thing you need to consider is where the mortgage broker is actually located. And I'm often asked, does the mortgage broker need to be located near the properties I'm buying? No, in this day and age, definitely not. Probably never needed to be, but particularly in this day and age with all of the apps and stuff that we're thinking about in the last question, no. My mortgage broker, Alistair, he's located somewhere in the outskirts of Scotland and he's so remote, I don't think I'd ever even know how to find him. Do I need to? No, absolutely not. He can raise all the finance that I need from wherever he's located in Scotland. It doesn't really matter where he is. And by the way, I've offered before, but I'll offer again, if you want me to put you in touch with Alistair, I'm very happy to do that. Just email me at thepropertyteacher at gmail.com and I'll put you in touch with Alistair. And if you want to raise some finance, I'm sure he'll be happy to help. In the same way, I'm sometimes asked, do I need to sit down with my mortgage broker and plan things with them? I've very rarely met my mortgage brokers. I've been through a number of mortgage brokers and in my time, I don't think I've ever met any. I might have met one once about 20 years ago. Don't need to meet them. All you need to be able to do is communicate with them. This day and age, it's probably going to be email and phone. 
And by the way, you're probably going to need more than one broker per strategy. Why is that? Because brokers go on holiday, brokers get sick, brokers get busy. So, for example, you've got an urgent deal going through, but you can't get hold of your broker or your broker's gone off to Tenerife for a fortnight or whatever they're doing. Have a backup. So you want to have, if you're doing buy-to-lets, have two or three really good brokers. If you're doing HMOs, have a couple of really good HMO brokers and they will be in your team. They will be on speed dial. And probably your broker is one of the members of the team who you'll be speaking to most, hopefully, because you've been doing lots of deals and raising lots of money. Who else is going to be on your team? Well, a solicitor, yeah. Probably not on speed dial, though. I don't often talk to my solicitors. Nowadays, I've got one solicitor who is my sort of favourite solicitor. I've got a couple of backup solicitors who I could go to if my solicitor's busy. Again, it's better to have more than one. But my favourite solicitor, I just uh, communicate with her by email. And that all works very efficiently. So not even on speed dial. Now, one of the key things about a solicitor is finding a solicitor who does what you want and not necessarily what the solicitor wants. I've already said in an answer to an earlier question that, you know, doing a deal can just take as long as it takes because no matter how you plan to do it without cash and without searches, once it gets into solicitor's hands, it happens as quickly as the solicitors do it. And this is true. So one of the things which I've realised by experience or through experience over the years is to find a solicitor who is, I suppose, aware of what you're trying to achieve in your business and who will help you to achieve that. Because some of them, like, they're a bit old school and they just do it the way they've always done it. I like solicitors who are a little bit more creative and a little more flexible. I don't mean anything dodgy, but, you know, if I say this needs to be done by next week, they're going to do it by next week. Not sort of, oh, I say, oh boy, this usually takes a fortnight or it'll happen next month when I'm ready. No, no, no. It's going to happen when I want it to happen How are you going to find a solicitor like that? Well, often just through trial and error. Uh, If you don't get on with your solicitor, then I suggest that you move on. But recommendations, and that's the power of being part of the community and going onto the Facebook group and asking people who they're using and who they'd recommend, who who they'd recommend as being a with it solicitor who gets what you're trying to do and will help you to do it. Next on my list of important team members is a managing agent, a good managing agent. And you need a managing agent who knows how to look after properties in line with your strategy. Put another way, perhaps a better way, is you need a managing agent who can deal with the type of tenants who are going to fit your strategy. For example, my portfolio is mainly single let by to lets and I have a lot of tenants who are on benefits. By the way, nothing wrong with that. I think there's a sort of this stereotypical view that people on benefits are going to be poor tenants. I don't know where that comes from. I'm sure that, you know, like in any socio-economic group, there are people who are great people and there's people who's not so great people. Most of my tenants on benefits have been absolutely fine. One or two have caused trouble. But having said that, I've had plenty of tenants who've been working tenants as well, most of whom have been fine. One or two have caused trouble. So there we go. Let's not get stereotypical about it. But here's the point. My managing agent understands the benefit system, which means that he can help and assist and make sure that everything runs as smoothly as is possible within the benefit system when my clients, my tenants, are trying to pay their rent or if there's a problem. He knows how to get in in and help. Similarly, I've got a a couple of HMOs. I wouldn't let 
a, a managing agent who's proficient at doing buy-to-lets manage my HMOs. My HMOs are managed by a, a firm of managing agents who are specialist HMO agents. And that, I think, is really important, particularly if you're going to follow the HMO route. In fact, sometimes I've, I've been asked, you know, where would be a good location to buy HMOs? And I think I said in an earlier podcast, I'd actually flip it around and say, well, I'd probably go and find a really, really, really good HMO agent and then buy some properties in their area so they could manage the properties because a good HMO agent is absolutely worth their weight in gold. A lot of agents think they can manage HMOs, but actually when they try, they can't because it's quite management intensive and you really need to know what you're doing. So what am I saying? The point is make sure that your managing agent is a specialist in whatever property strategy you're actually trying to undertake. And so that's who I would have on speed dial. Now they in turn will have their team on speed dial. So for example, a good managing agent is going to have access to contractors and specialists who they're going to bring in to look after your property. When you need a gas safety certificate, it should be the managing agent who's organising that for you and they'll bring in the um, gas safe registered heating engineer who's going to do your gas safety check. Or if there's a hole in the roof, they'll know which builder they'll bring in or which roofer they're going to bring in or which electrician they're going to bring in if the lights blow or whatever it happens to be. That'll be on their speed dial so that you don't need to have those people on your speed dial. Next on my list would be builders and contractors but not for looking after my managed property, but for when I do a route. Next on my list will be builders and contractors, but not for looking after my managed property. I would have builders and contractors on my speed dial for when I'm doing a refurb, for when I buy a property and I need to bring the team in to gut the property, put in the new kitchen, bathroom, redecorate it, bathroom, uh, kitchen. Next on my list will be builders and contractors but not for looking after my managed property, but for when I do a refurb. So that when I buy a property, when I do a deal, when I buy a property which needs a bit of work doing to it, which is what we should all be looking for, I can then bring the team in to put in the new kitchen or the new bathroom or both to do the redecorations. If it needs new windows, to put the new windows in, to tidy up the electrics if the electrics need tidying up, to do the redecorations, for example. And eventually I'll be having on speed dial the, the, the carpet fitter so that we can fit the new carpets. Now I have a builder who can do most stuff. Plus I have a plumber who can do the plumbing and the gas and install the central heating. And I have a sparky. And they are the three most important members of my team when it comes to doing a refurb. But as I say, they're not the same people that my managing agent will necessarily be calling in when it's matters of maintenance. That's my refurb team and they're the ones who are on speed dial for that. And for me, that's pretty much my team. Now, as I said earlier, with other strategies, you may have other, other specialists. With serviced accommodation, for example, you may have someone who comes in to clean and to, I don't know, change the linen and to do the laundry and all that kind of stuff. That's somebody who would be on speed dial so that you can make sure that they come in between guests. With commercial conversions, I've already said it may be architects, town planners, structural engineers, people like that. You'll have noticed that somebody who's not on my speed dial list is estate agents. Why is that? Because I hope that if I go in and see the estate agents and if I start building rapport with them, they'll actually put me on speed dial 
So they'll be calling me rather than me having to call them. But of course, when you first start out in property, that's probably not going to happen. So when you start out, you're going to have to go in and see them and you're going to have to call them. So you may well have estate agents in your goldmine area on speed dial so you can get in touch with them. And then last question for today. And by the way, I've got a whole stack of these, so I'll probably do some more next week as well. Hope you're enjoying these and finding these useful. Last question for today. How quickly can I expect to turn a profit as a property investor? Oh, that's a good question, isn't it? How quickly can I expect to turn a profit as a property investor? Well, you probably know the answer to this. It's the usual answer. And the answer is really, it all depends. It's going to depend on things like how much education will you get when you start? Or how much education do you already have in property to start with? How much action are you going to take when you start in property? How persistent are you going to be? Are you going to push through when you get the bumps in the road or are you going to give up at the first obstacle? That's obviously going to make a big difference, isn't it? Another one might be how much money do you have to start with? Of course, if you have no money to start with, which by the way might be a great thing, how do you feel about going out and raising money? Because if you're not prepared to go out and raise the money, you're probably not going to get very far. By the way, if you're wondering why it might be a great thing not to have any money, I remember Rebecca Smith was saying, if you listen back to a previous episode with Rebecca, a great interview which I did with her, she was saying that when she came to Progressive, one of the things which really benefited her was coming with no money because she didn't have any expectations. The thing is, if you've got a little pot of money, you kind of imagine that little pot is all you've got to spend because she had no money at all. She had no expectations. She had no limits. There was no kind of glass ceiling which stopped her. And so she went off and just raised millions of quid. And she's doing very, very well with that. So not having money can be a great thing. It could be as simple as, are you going to be working alone or with another JV partner? And if you're working with another JV partner, how much money, experience, knowledge and and energy, which is important, do they have? Do you have a plan? And if you do have a plan, how good is your plan? And how good are you at actioning your plan? I mean, I could go on and on and on. There's so many different variables which are going to affect how long it's going to take you to turn a profit. But probably the main thing, and here we are, it's broken record time again. I warn you, here we go. It's going to be down to your strategy because some strategies are quicker and some strategies are slower. So commercial conversions, for example, commercial conversions can make you a lot of money on one deal. And if you've been to recent uh, multiple streams of property income events, you might even have seen me standing on stage saying this. And it's true. I can say this with volition. Commercial conversions can make you a lot of money. One deal can completely change your life. But being realistic, and even with a fair wind behind you, it could be 12 months before you actually make your money in a commercial conversion. It could be 18 months, depending upon what happens and how big the project is. So it's a great way of making big money, but it's not the quickest of strategies. Buy to lets. Just think about this. You could buy a buy to let and you could refurb it, but it might be maybe six months before you get your first cash flow. And depending upon where the property is, you might only be netting, say, £250 a month net of costs. So you might need to spend a few years building your portfolio and getting a reasonable number of properties under your belt before you get enough cash flow to replace the income from your day job. What about flips? Well, I like flips because flips, which is basically buying a property and selling a property on for a profit, 
is a relatively short-term strategy, and in a relatively short amount of time, you can make a lump of chunky cash. But even that's going to take a few months. I was explaining at Masterclass at the weekend about a property which I bought in Nottingham a couple of years back, which I wanted to flip. And I bought the property at quite a cheap price. And because I'd bought it cheap enough, I knew that I could probably sell it on without doing any work to it. This surprises some people. You don't necessarily have to do anything to improve the value of the property if you can buy it cheap enough. I managed to buy it cheap enough to be able to put it straight back into an auction and to be able to sell it straight on. And I did, and I made quite a decent profit doing that. But the reality is the whole process took several months, even with buying that property for cash and then waiting for the auctioneer to prepare the details, putting it into the auction, and then for the sale to go through, even though the sale had to go through, I think it was 28 days after the date of the auction, the whole process probably added up to about four or five months. So again, not really quick. It's not like perhaps, I don't know, we have dreams of starting an internet business where we stick something up on a website and we start selling millions of whatever it is over the next, you know, over the first few days. Not like that in property. There's always groundwork to be done. We often think maybe that deal packaging is going to be a quick strategy. And in relative terms, it can be a quick strategy. But even if you package up a deal, if you take your fee when the person you're packaging the deal up for takes over the property and buys it, that's going to take several months, for example. Now, one of the things which we teach at Progressive is to have a portfolio of strategies. We call it the 70-20-10. And we'll consider what the 70-20-10 is when I'm answering a future question, which is probably going to be next week, just looking through my list of questions, which I'm still ploughing through. But ideally, we'd like to have a 70-20-10, I would suggest, which includes maybe slower and quicker strategies. By the way, when I say quicker, I mean not quite as slow as the slow strategies in property. As I say, there's always going to be groundwork. It takes time to get these things up and running. But realistically, whichever way you look at it, it's going to be months, maybe six months before you start turning a profit, depending upon what your strategy is. So what you need to do is once you get yourself up and running, it's not all bad news, by the way, it gets much better. Once you've got yourself up and running, you need to have a pipeline of deals coming through the system so that it may be six months until you make your first profit. But then if you've got a deal lined up, which is coming through later, maybe it comes through in month seven and then suddenly you're getting a profit from a different deal every month or depending upon how active you are and aggressive or depending upon what your strategies are. You might have deals coming through every week, but it's probably going to take you about six months or so to get yourself up and running to get the processes in place and get everything ready. Once you've built those foundations, though, having a pipeline means that then regularly, periodically, after your first deal, after you very first turn a profit, you'll then start to regularly turn a profit. And that's one of the great things about property. So it all works out well in the end. So there we are. So I hope you've enjoyed those questions. I've really enjoyed answering them. It's quite a challenge. They're quite sort of, you know, edgy left field questions, really. They're not your usual questions, and I'm loving this. So I'm going to pick up another pile of them probably for next week. Until then, carry on doing whatever you're doing. Remember, you must take action. It's all about taking action. If you don't take action, you won't get anywhere. So whatever those tasks are that you've been putting off for the last few days, go out and do them and you'll feel so much better for doing them. And it'll probably help you work towards being a wealthy, successful property investor, which would be a great thing as well.
If you want to know more about me in the meantime, please come over to my website, www.thepropertyteacher.co.uk. You'll find I've got loads of resources there. Some are free, like free reports you can download. Uh, there's paid resources like my eBooks and stuff, which hopefully you'll find really, really helpful, help inspire and encourage and educate you on your property journey. And there's my blog where you'll find loads of great information and even the odd video of me. So you can even see what I look like if we've never met, should you wish to. Maybe you don't want to. That's probably a bit of a weird thing to say. But there you are. Come over to my website and you'll learn a lot more about me. Until next time, until the next Progressive Property Podcast, here's to successful property investing. Okay.